well, we're here for Halloween, that time of the year when uh, everyone's talking about spooky things and goths are in fashion for a change. And if you believe <laughs> the internet crowd, then the elites are sacrificing children by the thousands. Who knows? It's a crazy word out there. But definitely, it's, it's you know, it's that time when everyone likes to get spooky. So I thought I'd talk about ghosts a little bit. And... Um, their relevance to all of this and especially I think I want to talk about um, the people who have problems with ghosts because uh, it might sound um, out of some people's belief systems or outside of some people's experience but certainly uh, <laughs> running an organization like I do Lotus Snake Gong we get lots of contact from people who who think they have ghosts and they think they're possessed and uh, you know we get a lot of emails for it I mean Lotus Nigong at my school um, it's worldwide, especially these days with everything being connected via the internet. So you get messages from all over the place. And, and lots of people have problems with what they perceive as ghosts or as possessions. I've spoken a little bit about this before, and I do teach um, possession treatments in Chinese medicine because it is part of Chinese medicine. So it's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? Because I think part of the issue is the word ghost and what it means, what it means to certain people, and why they think they're possessed. So I'll just get it out in the open right at the beginning. Um, 95 to 99% of the people, possibly 99.5% of the people who, I don't know, who think they are possessed, are not possessed. Definitely not. And they have all these fears and all these worries. And we get lots of we get lots of um, messages come in from people with these worries. They think there's some kind of entity has entered them and caused all sorts of problems and is speaking to them um, or, or whatever. And really, that's not the case. Um, and part of the part of the the treatment protocol, if you like, for people like this is to get them to understand what's actually going on. So I thought I'd do a little um, podcast episode just describing what's going on. And who knows? Maybe one of the people that hears this who thinks they have ghosts invading the brain or invading their blood or whatever they think it's doing coming to them from the nether realms um, might gain a little bit of insight from it now the downside of it is my experience is that most people who think they have ghosts if you tell them they don't have ghosts in the way that they think they have they normally get very upset and very angry and it gets quite confrontational because they kind of they either want you to buy into it because it's important to them or it's so clearly their experience of what's going on that they just think you're not in the know or something. How can you understand? Or they mishear you and they think you're saying it's all your imagination, which is also not what I'm saying either. There's a very specific uh, mechanic or process involved in, in getting these kind of symptoms, if you like. And Halloween seemed like an appropriate uh, time to talk about it. So first of all, let's look at, you know, the view of ghosts, Gui, in Chinese medicine or in Chinese belief. And also, you know, any Eastern tradition or, or any alternative, you know, it, tradition or whatever talks about ghosts usually it gets mentioned doesn't it spirits in the spirit world and we can't deny that certainly in things like buddhism or taoism they certainly sorry shuffling around talked about uh, the ghost realms and hungry ghosts and so on and so on so they definitely had a belief in ghosts and that is a part of it so i i remember um and i'm not a disbeliever in ghosts either i don't disbelieve in them or, or spirits they are a part of all this to me but they're also irrelevant largely they're irrelevant i do <laughs> i do get asked that a lot i think it's funny i get asked my beliefs an awful lot that's like one of the latest questions what's your belief on reincarnation what's your belief on ghosts what's your belief on on conspiracy theories on reptiles in the moon and all these things do you know what it doesn't matter like who cares <laughs> who really cares what someone believes and what someone knows are not the same um and people often get those mixed up and we see that a lot at the moment don't we people have a belief and if you have a belief um either you think covid's real or you think covid's fake or you think you know pizza gate's real or pizza gate is not real or well, it doesn't really matter you know I, mean, I just chose those two but there's millions of different views and what happens is if you don't know and you have a belief then your the evidence you see will just confirm one way or the other so if you believe in something your brain is amazing at picking out the evidence to confirm you it's real and if you don't believe in it then the evidence will point in the other direction it's just how our brain happens to see things it's amazing how we can join those dots so so belief is irrelevant as much as anything so what i tend to do um, if I don't know something, I just talk about the view from traditions or from people who know better than me. 
So with regards to, hang on, let's clear up those three, Zoe. What were the ones, what do they ask me about? Ghosts. Yes, I do believe in ghosts, but I don't believe they're a problem. How's that? And with regards to what were the other ones people always ask about? Conspiracy theories. Um, I don't care. Either way, actually, doesn't bother me. Doesn't doesn't impact my daily thoughts, motions, or moods. So therefore, um, it doesn't really matter. And what's the other one? Reincarnation. Yes, of course. Yeah, I believe in it, but I, I, you know, it's just a belief. Who cares? So, ghosts. Do you know what? I remember going to one teacher, and I asked him about ghost world, the ghost realm. And, you know, connection to spirits. Because, of course, when you're younger, you're all excited about that. And you want to know all the, all the stuff like that. So I got there and I got to this, these kind of high-level teachers. And uh, first thing I did, I asked about ghosts. And I was told quite clearly, like, the ghost world, really, you can think of it as like another um, vibrational frequency or something like this. A realm that's a little bit more out of our perception than other people's or something like this. But when you're, you know, supposedly at certain stages when your your um, awareness or ability to perceive certain thing goes up, then then your ability to perceive other realms goes up. So there are other realms, um, and there's things living on them, things that go bump in the night and so on and so on. But what killed it was <laughs> Wi-Fi. <laughs> Sometimes people miss this. It's like, um, you know, one of the great uh, sadnesses of our modern age is that we're constantly bathed in bioelectrical magnetic fields, radio waves internet i don't know what we're bathed in we carry a little internet around with us don't we in our telephone so we have a little personal internet bubble around us probably wi-fi bubble or whatever uh we've got bluetooth i don't know what's going on the air's just full of shit isn't it you've got elon musk's satellites up there and who knows what else just all over the place so we're bathed in all these frequencies and one of the biggest effects of these frequencies people worry about their health and stuff and sure that's probably a factor isn't it we'll find out that in generations to come but definitely one of the effects of it is it disconnects you from the environment a little bit. It does disconnect you. So a lot of the environmental practices and rhythms and things of Taoism and um, Hinduism that are kind of thrown out a little bit. We have our personal rhythms inside our body, but it's very difficult to connect with some of the energetic rhythms on the outside. And supposedly this is because of all these waves and frequencies, which makes sense to me. But one of the plus sides, if you like, I suppose, every cloud has a silver lining, is that the first thing that happened when all of these kind of waves surrounded the earth, electrical waves and so on and so on, was it separated us from the spirit world. It's like, um, you know, it just sort of eradicated the connection. It's too murky or whatever. So according to teachers of the traditions that, I, that I've spoken to and trust with regards to their, their knowledge, that there was a greater connection to the spirit world before there was electricity and everything everywhere and and way and you know wires and cables and stuff like that that's why there's far less ghosts in house and houses and things like that than there used to be um so i mean that kind of makes sense to me because old cultures certainly talked about it a lot more um and then as time goes on it kind of faded away and i wonder if you sort of plot those against each other against the graph of the introduction of electricity and so on and so on. I wonder if they go hand in hand. I'm not so sure. But uh, yeah, so so here's the thing. So if you do think you've got a <laughs> ghost and people ask, what do I do? Do I smudge the house? Do I paint a pentagram in cat's blood on the floor or put salt in the corners or whatever? Um, just get stronger Wi-Fi. Problem solved. <laughs> 5G will sort all your problems. Don't worry about it. Um, apart from the tumors it will give you it'll get rid of ghosts so don't worry about it yeah i mean that's one way you know your house is is all right it's quite separated there certainly when some of the more esoteric traditions that do do spirit work one of the modern i suppose um things you have to do for your practice kind of a prerequisite is they advise you to leave anywhere with electricity so you have to go up into the hills and get away from everything. You still, still satellites and stuff in there. But you have to get away from everything and go stay in a tent or a shack or something up on the hills where there's no, um, no electrical waves that are going to sever those frequencies. So by the very implication of doing that, that does suggest that, yeah, our connection has been severed a little bit. So the first thing is you can, you can forget too many fears you have about your house or whatever being uh, possessed or so on and so on because um, uh, it's probably not the case. Then you have, um, you know, this concept of like, what is a ghost? And uh, 
really within Taoism, you know, a lot of what it is, actual ghosts, if we talk about ghosts in literal senses, they're part of a Poe spirit. And now part of the thing with a Poe spirit, that part of the Poe, is they don't really carry sentience. It's the Shen and the Hun that carry the sentience. The Poe kind of contains a sort of somatic experience of something in a feedback loop. But when that part of the spirit that remains attached to the earth is uh, severed from the part that goes back up to the spirit world, according to classical teachings, you know, um, then essentially it's not a great deal of sentience. So you can kind of think of the ghost as being like the village idiot or something like this. It's not too bright. So if you think about how people describe ghosts, what do they say? They say, ooh, on the 13th of every month or on a full moon or when there's a blood moon in the sky or something like this. There's always a weird description. Um, what do you see? Well, you see the go old lady walking across the staircase or you see the ghost of the murdered boy walking across the grounds of the manor. Or so. They're always doing the same thing. They're always doing the same thing, aren't they? They're never, you know, there's a ghost around here somewhere, we're not sure. They're always walking across the landing or they're always walking across on. They're doing the same thing. And what are they doing? They're playing out a very small loop of non-sentient information. So you can think of it as being like, you know, a video, an old video, maybe a modern video with it. I don't think downloaded things do that, but an old video sort of caught on loop that's just playing like a few seconds. So it's, it's if anything, if you're looking at spirits in that sense, what you're seeing is kind of a, a very brief, played out, non-sentient recording of <laughs> something that the person did while they were alive that probably had some kind of emotional connection to that tethered that bit of the Poe down into the world. Can the Poe see you? No, it doesn't have sentience, not at all. Can you see it? Not generally, but I guess some people might be an exception to that. But it's just playing out. It's nothing. It's like a little bit of visual data that's just repeating. So if even if you are talking about ghosts on that level, it's nothing to worry about. It really isn't. You could walk through it. It'd be like a little hologram playing for a few seconds. So it's it's nothing. But I think that's part of the problem is that um, people always want to, what do you call it, like personify something or give it, like they do with their pets, don't they? Oh, look at my dog. Isn't he, you know, full of sort of pride? And just, no, that's a, <laughs> that's a highly complex human emotion. No, you've personified that. You've put it onto him and and perhaps because of the time you spent with you, we've learned that behavior. But, you know, we want to personify everything, don't we? We, we want to pass human characteristics onto things um, because it makes it easiest for us to connect with them because we can have a kind of fabricated empathy for their situation. So it builds a, a greater connection on, on lots of levels. And there's nothing wrong with that. But then people want to personify the wrong things, don't they? So they want to personify the divine and come up with their idea of what God looks like and what clothes he's got on and so on and so on. Um, but then that also happens with things like spiritual experiences where you might see something that's out of the ordinary, then you will personify it as a person. So what are the kind of spirits that are invading people's heads and brains then? I mean, we should probably look at that because it's clearly not those kind of spirits, is it? It's not the little playbacks of video loop that I'm talking about. No. Well, most people, what they do when they experience um, a spirit, a ghost inside themselves, is normally, first of all, it's something that's causing them to do something out of control, out of the ordinary. So sometimes it's a zufagong or a spontaneous movement that can take place. Um, if you don't know what a spontaneous movement is, essentially what happens is there's an aspect of chi, if you like, that's very closely related to bioelectrical information that runs through the nervous system. So sometimes when people have increased chi flow, or quite commonly when people have increased chi flow, what happens is there's an increase of activity in the nervous system, which creates increase increase of activity in the muscles so what happens is people will shake or spasm a little bit just because the nerves are just um hyper stimulated and sometimes it can be a little tremor and lots of people who've experienced qigong have had that little tremor sometimes it can be quite extreme um, and one of these might for example might be a lot of energy moving through the spine so the body really convulses and people can go wild you can find these videos on the internet of people doing this and too much energy goes into the nervous system and it makes it fire around so it looks like the sort of spines like a snake trying to climb out of them and it creates all sorts of all sorts of um, very impressive movements when spontaneous chi movement comes now um, as a tool it's used in many systems um, i use it in some of my work to free up certain things because one of the things with sending more energy through the nerves is it kind of what we call opens up the body or clears the channels and that's one method of doing it 
But part of the downside of Zofagong is because it goes into your nerves and it's an unusual experience and the connection between the brain and the nerves and somatic feeling experience, people will do like they do with their pets. They'll personify it in a weird way. So they'll give it a kind of importance that doesn't have. So now instead of just your muscles moving around, so something frees up it, it, because of more energy in that area, more electricity in the nerves or, or whatever you want to say, then what they'll do is they'll start to think, oh, something is getting a hold of me a spirit is getting a hold of me there's a whole school of if qigong isn't there that tells people that they're bringing spirits into the body which is absolute fucking nonsense it really is what they're actually doing um is, is through certain exercises generating zofagong spontaneous movement within the nervous system and then dangerously i think very dangerously telling people that it's spirits doing the work and when i've spoken to people from that school they go no you just don't understand you don't understand Yes, I do. I've been around this stuff for the entire of my life so far. And okay, I'm only 40. There's plenty more years. But I have spent time around this in Asia, in the West, in, in China, Southeast Asia, all, all India, all through these. What kind of people doing these arts? They, they basically, they share similar mechanics with regards to these kind of work. And the only things that separate certain systems from others with regards to spontaneous reactions is whether they tell people it's spirits or whether they tell people the truth. And that's it. But what happens is people will then personify and amplify this kind of go, okay, this is what's going on. Something spiritual is happening. Something spiritual is happening. And, and yoga people will often personify it as a Kundalini awakening, which it's not. Um, it's not a Kundalini awakening. Qigong people will associate it with um, often spirits or something or, or you know, whatever. They'll, they'll put their own sort of model over it. Anything that's slightly dramatic, because people like something that's dramatic, because it, it, you know, and this isn't a criticism, because we all do it, every single person, but it's quite nice, isn't it, if something happens, if we could just assume it's something dramatic, because it elevates us above the humdrum, it's like something no one else has experienced, or, you know, this is definitely something spiritual or something special, and it appeals to that part of our nature that wants that. And, and this, what happens is this, we have to be careful of that trap, which we can all fall into, so I'm not talking bad about anybody, because... You know, we've all been there if we've been in these kind of arts. And then you want to turn a, a, a molehill into a mountain. And I'd seen this over and over again with lots of the different things that happen because actually most of the experiences people have are just to do with um, nervous system or, or whatever sensations. But it feels like something is a sensation in the body. It's your nerves. So they'll, they'll do that and then they'll get caught up in it. And because we have an amazing ability to control the quality of the mind and the movement of energy, probably through the nervous system, I would guess, by the action of our mind, they kind of get caught up in a loop of it. So something moves through the spine and then you think, oh, something's moving through the spine. And then by the very nature of paying attention to it, you're amplifying that movement through the spine. So then it gets stronger. And then no longer is it a spontaneous, so forgone reaction, spontaneous movement of Now it's something you're actually creating. You're creating it subconsciously, but you're, you're amplifying it so it gets stronger and stronger. Next thing you know, you're, it's just getting out of control and all these things are moving. And what's going to happen is it's going to send all that energy up to the brain. And all, all of that stuff up in your head is going to light up <laughs> parts of your sense faculties that shouldn't even be lit up delusion gets mixed in and then you start to get all sorts of visual experiences and stuff like this now i'm not denying that visual experience can happen within the internal arts definitely not but one of the most difficult qualities for anybody doesn't matter where you're from or how good you are in these arts one of the most difficult qualities is discernment accurate discernment between what is useful what is not what is real what is not, what is created by you, what is created by something else. And, and discernment is tricky. And part of the job of the teacher is to help people navigate through this to discern. So you have to have been deep enough into these experiences yourself. You can say, I think you're going off track here. But the problem is, especially with ghosts, is once personification of these kind of experience turns into that, people will not want to listen to you. Because there's a weird part of the moment they don't want to lose the ghost gotta get the ghost out of me but at the same time there's another part of them that kind of wants the ghost because it's kind of come to something special or the very fact that ghosts have entered them is something that's a bit out of the norm so it's very different attachment is a very weird thing in the human mind you you a huge part of your conscious mind can want something gone but a part of your subconscious mind doesn't want that thing gone and it, you know we see this all the time and don't mishear me don't 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 hear me say you're having this problem because you want this problem. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the mind is very complex and there's all sorts of unconscious and subconscious layers um, that we can struggle with, especially around um, esoteric experiences, definitely. So, mm. then what happens? Well, now we have to look at the kind of nature of mind. So, it is complicated to keep 
brief, but I'll try, you know, because it normally takes a while to explain this. But basically, the idea is with regards to energetics, when you have a thought, it's considered a seed, a movement within the space of your consciousness that your awareness is is paying attention to. And then gradually what happens is chi feeds that thought. That's the idea. So this is how we say the energy reaches the mind, okay? Um, so then the chi feeds that thought and kind of like water in a plant, it turns into uh, a thought stream. So if there's no chi, people like if you're chi deficient, people have muggy heads and oh, I can't think straight and I can't catch my thoughts and it feels like my mind is clouded or like there's damp in my head or something, you know. And, and anybody who does Chinese medicine would associate the kind of muggy headedness um, well, one of the key reasons is to do with the chi deficiency, a lack of energy in the body, so it's not feeding the thoughts. There's no energy reaching the mind, not no energy reaching the brain, or something like this. So every time you have a thought, that energy feeds the mind, and then that the thought, and that turns into a thought stream. And if you don't have it, that's cloudy thoughts. Now, what happens is your brain, your mind, after a while, learns to identify with aspects of self, and what it will do is it will identify with those things that get a reaction. And this is why people have emotional patterns. So say you are someone who experienced a lot of conflict at an early age, for example, then maybe you'll start to see everything through the lens of conflict. And obviously there's a, there's a whole spectrum of things you can experience stuff through. So, you know, if that's your, if that's your lens and you see it through conflict, what happens is if there's a conflict-type thought or a conflict type experience, your mind latches onto that because that's your default setting. So your energy, your chi will naturally have a tendency to feed that part of your nature. So it's kind of like a, that sort of self-fulfilling prophecy that you continue to feed that part of your brain that is your, of your mind, of your awareness, that is your major identity. And this is how our identity grows, you know. And some people have emotional intelligence and insight into this to a certain extent. So there's fluidity within the kind of aspect of their identity that gets fed but some people don't so what happens is they just go down this continuing stream for the whole of their life where they just keep feeding that same identity over and over again until you become a, a vastly overblown caricature of yourself so um we have methods in alchemy and qigong and things to to make sure that we don't feed um, the right thought, we don't feed the wrong thoughts, I should say, or something like this, and a lot of mindfulness training and so on and so on is about that. And eventually when the mind is taken out of the way, then the chi within the body will feed somewhere else a different point of awareness, um, which ultimately they call shen, call the spirit. So part of the reason people can't feed the spirit with an alchemy very well, they can't get the chi to support the spirit, is because the mind is in the way, because that energy is always feeding the thoughts. And this is why within alchemy or meditation they always talk about sort of silence in the mind or quiet in the mind so that there's less of these little seeds popping up that are going to draw your first of all your awareness your awareness goes there's a thought oh look at that that's interesting and then the yi leads the chi and your awareness will lead the energy to that seed and then that creates a thought and this is why certain thoughts can be tiring because after a while if you're really lost in that thought for a really really long time too many thoughts just lost on that thought it's draining all your energy you know so your mind is incredibly tiring so this mechanic is going on all of the time um, within us of the chi feeding the thoughts so why this is relevant to spirits is because your mind also has kind of like a what would you call it? almost like a you know when the fuse blows in your house to protect you from shorting out the wires you know it's like a safety mechanism in it too many things plugged in poof, fuse goes to and it's the same with your mind you know it can only handle so much emotional stimulation or, or energetic feeding of a thought and if, if it goes too far then you get a shortening of the fuse okay a, a breakdown if you like so this is like emotional breakdown or mental breakdown can come from this the brain has had too many emotions to deal with it can't get past that threshold it can't overcome it i think they discuss it um i mean a lot of the workings of the mind are discussed within the classic change of the I Ching. i think it's like hexagram 62 or something talks about this process the knot like going beyond your threshold it, it, the symbol is of water pouring into lake um with draw, drawn within the hexagram the idea being that the lake is still and profound but it only has a certain amount of capacity for the water that's going into it and then once that that lake goes beyond its capacity there's an overspill um, of the water and this is kind of what the hexagram talks about is understanding what your capacity is and and how much is too much and, and, and really within the mind this is what happens when you get an emotional overload you take too much stress or prolonged emotional upset and boom the brain snaps and then you get problems you can get anything from shock or emotional numbness because what shock shock is an emotional experience too fast for you to deal with 
it went way beyond capacity because you didn't have time to normalize the experience because it was a shock, you know, and that can lead you to PTSD or numbness, emotional numbness, psychiatric numbness, or, or even mental illness or a complete breakdown, you know, just the brain short circuiting. Now, the, the mind doesn't want that to happen, obviously, it has sort of protection mechanisms in, in place. It has ways of dealing with that. And one of these ways is to isolate the emotions and create a kind of compartmentalization. And this is what you see a lot with people who think they are possessed, is the compartmentalization of an emotional state. So say, for example, you have a lot of, I don't know, grief or something. Let's just choose a random one. You have a lot of grief. And there's been a lot, all sorts of pain from that. And you normally find this. You normally find people that have been possessed have, or they think they're possessed, or the spirit is talking to them. They tend to have a very traumatic past somewhere like something you never meet someone who's had a very comfortable upbringing comfortable relationship with their parents comfortable childhood or, or you don't tend to um that then think they're possessed or, or get possessed it's, there's there's a connection between the two the trauma <clears throat> and i've heard um some new age shaman types saying that you know the trauma is the reason the spirit went in in the first place it's not really true um it's because of basically there's already a lens that's very, very overloaded. You know, if you have a lot of um, fear or trauma around a particular event, I mean, that's already massive. You're carrying that with you. So that's going to change your nature a little bit. So you're tend to going to see things through that kind of lens. And we all know that someone had abandonment when they were younger, they'll tend to seek out relationships or something that are related to that particular filter of life, or it'll affect their relationships in that way and create a kind of insecurity. So there's already a distortion in place on the mind, which means energy chi is still feeding is still feeding that you know it's still feeding that side of their nature so those thoughts are still being amplified and, and generated and, and and creating more of a problem for them and sometimes people re repress emotions which is obviously negative suppression is fine sometimes because you have to kind of stop yourself from doing something but repression is negative because repression is unconscious suppression so that now it's trapped in there and you don't even know but the energy is still feeding that thought so sometimes you're aware of it it's an unrepressed emotion an unrepressed trauma that's being fed by chi sometimes it's a repressed trauma that's being fed by chi that means you don't know so that's even more difficult it's hidden from your view the awareness is aware of it on some level but the front of your mind if you want to call it that is not aware of it so that's a problem so lots of people go through their life like this you know and what happens is when they when the energy gets to a point where it can't handle it in order to stop you from having a breakdown it'll compartmentalize and fragment that bit of your emotional state away so it's kind of like if you had a pizza of your emotions in your mind it'll cut away that slice because it's too much there's too much fear here there's too much abandonment and it will slide it away and compartmentalize it sometimes that creates emotional repression it'll hide it and that will come back to bite you in the ass later um and also according to spiritual traditions it will generate a lot of karma as well um, which will affect your experiences through life because that which you're unconscious of within your mind is particularly strong for developing karma but that's a story for another day <clears throat> excuse me i've been talking a lot lately because i just taught a five-day course so excuse me if my throat's a little bit dry and my voice is a bit strange um yeah, so that's one thing then. But the other thing that can happen, which is more problematic in some ways, is it more or less? I don't know, but it's definitely problematic, is that you can start to see that emotion or that experience as a separate thing. Now, you have other defense mechanisms like your dreams. And part of the thing with your dreams, according to the traditional arts, is that they're trying to process this. Um, trying to, it's almost like a purge when you go to sleep. You know, it's like trying to, your brain's going, oh God, what's he done to me? Look. It's been feeding this fucking thoughts that are doing my head in. So it tries to process that while you're asleep. And, and that's another way of dealing with it. But sometimes it can't do it. And sometimes psychologically you can't handle it. So you'll separate that emotion and then you personify it. So then what it does is it takes on a separate identity. And you can almost see it within the terminology of certain people. Because I used to work in the psychiatric system um, when I was, a, I was a social worker in psychiatric health. And you watch the terminology. You get people, say you take anger. And you almost see like an evolution or a depth of how they're experiencing it. And they'll, they'd say things like, I am angry. So now they're identifying with that angry or I, the, their anger. They are in that state. And then you get someone a bit further down the line and they would say things like, the anger has overtaken me. That's a little bit more alarming because now rather than just saying, I am angry, 
and identifying with anger, which is already negative. Now the anger has overtaken me. It means the rest of their identity is lost. And then the next phrase that would always be of a, of a sort of, okay, you know, might you want to raise your eyebrows, is um, they talk about it like it's a person. The anger is there. It's in the background and then it overtakes me. Here comes the anger. You know, I try to hold off the anger. And you can see that they're, they're separating it, talking about it like it's a creature or, or a separate thing. Now, what would happen is if people then had a different belief system, maybe culturally, or maybe they were more, they have more of a tendency to try to defend themselves by separating it, was that anger would actually take on an identity. So then what happens is people would personify it and then that would be an angry spirit that's there. The angry spirit is there. Well, the angry spirit is still part of your mind, it's still part of your emotional makeup, still part of your psychology, but now you've personified it in order to protect yourself from it. Kind of like if you were, you know, it's almost like you do something so bad and you feel terrible about it, so you pretend somebody else did it, or your mind pretends something else, somebody else did it. And there's all sorts of things around sort of split personalities or whatever, I forgot what the technical term for that is, but um, you know, with that, that's the case. So why does that happen with regards to people in the internal arts? Well, mostly because maybe the kind of people that get possessed, like say they have those kind of traumas and maybe they have a tendency to compartmentalize their mind up into, into separate sections. And you can see this when you talk to someone because there's a particular way that they'll not hold your eyes or their eyes will dart or their very facial expressions will change. I don't know how to explain it, but you know it after a while, especially if you're a Chinese medicine practitioner, we call it Shen Disturbed. And Shen Disturbed implies that there's an unrootedness to the mind and and you can see it when you talk to them. The thing for me is like their facial expressions, like if I, my, I'm, hopefully I'm not Shen disturbed, so if my facial expressions change, you can still see it's my face. Whereas someone who's Shen disturbed, it's very interesting for me because when their facial expressions change, they almost look like different people. It's amazing. It's like the plasticity of the tissues underneath the skin changes so much. It's like a different person. You're like, whoa. And when you take photos of them, I suppose, in different, you would, it's like different people in every photo, depending on the emotional makeup. And to me, this is one of the signs that actually they're kind of at the threshold of their emotional, well, their emotional threshold, what would you call that? Their emotional coping. That's kind of, that's where they are. They're, they're almost snapping. They're at the edge of the boundary of what they can accept. So they've compartmentalized all these negative emotions into different parts and they're almost starting to come out as like facial personalities or something. And if you see people who are possessed, this is what you'll see. You, do you hear them talking about the face will change into the face of somebody else? It's not somebody else. It's just that that emotion is so strong that the plasticity under the tissues is changing. It's been compartmentalized, so it looks like a different person. They've identified it as a different thing. It's it's a separate thing. Now, if you carry on down that thread, what happens is then that personality is identified. That separate identity identity is identified by the mind as something. It's like the awareness goes, oh, there's a separate thing here. And then, like with a pet, when we personify the pet. Oh, a little Fido, he loves it when I put a woolly jumper on him and a little baseball cap and no, he doesn't he give a fuck, he's a dog, you know, but we do that and we'll do the same with the emotions. We overlay it on it and then the next thing you know, that trauma, that fear that's been separated now becomes a spirit because now it talks to you. Now it has an identity, you know, now, now it, it's telling you things <laughs> and it's so funny because ultimately all you're doing is you're hearing your own thoughts that have been amplified to the point of having a separate voice and you're overlaying that thing in it and now what it becomes is a spirit that's invaded you so where do most ghosts come from you they come from inside you you have compartmentalized your own mind into these various fragmented parts probably as a coping mechanism and then give it an identity now the problem is when i've spoken to people who are possessed as they see themselves sorry just adjusting my seat when i've spoken to people that call themselves possessed and you tell them that this is the case. Um, it's so funny because on the outside you can see it, you know, and it's not like I haven't seen it a lot of times. I have, I've seen it a lot because of the kind of work I do, um, you know, and also because of the psychiatric units and, and the people I spoke to there and how many people thought they had spirits. But also because um, if you're involved in something called Taoism and Nagong and Qing, you tend to attract people who want help with those kind of things now i'm more than happy to try and help because to me it's a real condition it is a real condition but it's just not the condition you think it is and the problem is if you say no this is what's happened da, 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 and you can normally do it you can identify the trauma you can see where it is you can see the th 
They won't have it. They won't have it. They don't like it. They don't like it at all. They want it to be a separate entity that has entered them. And maybe that's because... I mean, I don't know what that's about, isn't it? Because it's quite disempowering, isn't it? I mean, to me personally, if someone could say, look, actually, this is what's happened, I go, well, okay, well, that's quite empowering because I can get involved in that because that's something that's come from in me. But people kind of like this disempowering state where now it's something that's come from the outside. Maybe because it's blameless, I'm not sure. But then blame is weird. Why would you blame yourself? I mean, it's not your fault that you had an awful experience and then your brain had to protect itself. That doesn't seem something worth blaming yourself for. But it might be that, like a sort of, blameless quality so then what they want is they want the therapist to take it out take it out but they misunderstand it's not something that needs taken out it needs something that puts back together it's the opposite there needs to be some kind of unification of the mind rather than a <laughs> removal of something removal of something is is just as bad and then it, it gets worse because often they've been to see other therapists who've told them the opposite often they're within another tradition another qigong tradition a shamanic tradition a taoist one where they're obsessed with um exorcisms which are just fucking daft most of it normally it's just dealing normally exorcisms in china i've seen lots of them i've seen quite a lot of them not lots i've seen quite a lot i would say probably nine or ten something like that i've seen a few you know saw them in taiwan saw them in southeast asia saw them in china and the uh, bali saw them in bali and they're always the same they kind of do this ritual and then they get the ghost out and then everyone's happy and some money changes hands and normally it involves robes there's always some robes you can't you can't do a possession without a red silk robe and a trendy hat. That always seems to go hand in hand. But they do the possession. Normally what happens is the person has zufagong, a big emotional release, and normally thrashing and screaming and stuff like that. Um, and then they feel better. But often what's happened is the conceptual framework of the idea of a spirit has been given to the patient. Um, and then they're basically taken through the same process they go through of their releasing trauma and then they call it a ghost and I think it's a bit unhealthy maybe within the culture over there it works because they're not so frightened you know I mean in Bali definitely they live very close to the spirit world so maybe it's not that unhealthy sort of conceptual framework the ghost was there the ghost is, ghost is gone and because it's such a normal part of life you just get on with your life but in the West, it can be unhealthy because often you weren't brought up around that mindset and now you have a Taoist exorcism well that's kind of anchored to you into your concept oh there's definitely ghosts and i can catch them i'm susceptible to them um you know just like i can catch the flu every winter right you know i mean not covid you know i can catch a cold and catch the flu every winter and so it becomes detrimental so i'm against Taoist exorcisms in the west i really am doesn't matter how shiny your nightgown is that you put on and your how funky your hat may look i don't think it's a healthy mindset to give to people i do exorcisms if you like, um, but I work in a much more grounded way and I try to get people to understand what is actually taking place with regards to their psychology rather than the thinking they got a spirit taken over. So hopefully that was a bit of an overview. It's a very complex subject, but I'm just sort of trying to talk about the general gist of it to give you my take on it because I get asked a lot. And it's not like I'm trying to force these opinions on and people are asking me, I'm answering in the, in the wider public um, as best I can. Um, but this is my opinion. And where the other place you see it as a lot is people who do the internal arts, isn't it? So you see it in yoga, you see it in kundalini yoga a lot, you see it in um, um, tantric work, you see it in qigong, you see it in alchemy, you see it in all sorts. Any, all these other alternative things that I don't know because there's so many of them, all with crazy names, everything from angels to crystals to whatever. But lots of people in these arts are getting these experiences on the, <gasps> I've been possessed or something. Why? Well, there's several reasons. One, the kind of people who come into the internal arts often, but not always, often tend to be looking to repair something that can't easily be repaired. It can't be repaired by going to the gym, can't be repaired by taking a headache pill or something or whatever, because normally it's something emotional, something traumatic. That's why there's a lot of damaged people within these arts. Um, and again, I don't say that as a criticism. It's nobody's fault that something bad has happened, and definitely not. But we have to agree that a lot of these people come towards these traditions. So already there's a tendency towards that. That's why there's a kind of vulnerability amongst lots of people in these um, traditions and, and why you hear so many horror stories of, of teachers taking advantage of people because, you know, vulnerability and, vulnerability and being taken advantage of sadly often go hand in hand. So you've got these ton of people coming into the arts. So they're already kind of like, they have the right qualities in place to become possessed, if you like, you know. And then from there, 
uh, what tend to happen is you're generating a lot more energy in the body, aren't you? You're generating a lot more. It doesn't matter what method you're doing. You're firing up the body with energy, especially the sort of harsher yoga or Neigong or Qigong methods. You're building up that energy. And where does that energy go? It feeds the thoughts. That's what it does. We, we, we're told the qi feeds the shen. Shen isn't always automatically spirit. If your mind is very active and very emotional, it's not going to feed your shen. Definitely not. It's going to feed your mind. So the energy is going to feed that. So you'll see people getting very emotional in yoga, very emotional in qigong, very emotional in neigong because it's feeding that side of the nature. Now, if there is a, a trauma or uh, an upset or something like this, of course what happens is previously they had their kind of, what do we call that, default energy feeding that problem but now they have the extra energy of the yoga practice they're doing from the bandhas or they're doing or or, or extra energy in the, the do channel so they're sending more up to the mind and where is that energy going to go it's going to go to the things that your awareness is identifying the most with your traumas because that's where a lot of your identity comes from your identity is generated from the strongest emotionally charged thoughts and feelings that you have that's kind of the nature of the beast you don't do it on purpose but that's what happens so it's going to feed that trauma and energize it and then that's going to amplify it and then take you much closer to that point where all of a sudden the brain can't cope with it and boom there it fragments off into a separate entity that we can then give a personality to we, we personify it and then it becomes a ghost and that's what happens the more energy that then gets fed into that system, the more it feeds that, the more it amplifies that thought. Because now once it's separate, there it is, Casper, Casper the ghost, right there in my head. Casper's telling me to stab the neighbor. Oh, don't listen to Casper. But I'm now aware, or I think I'm aware, that Casper is a separate thing. Because it is a separate thing, that's like another layer of identity. That's not even... I am all of creation and they'll fuck, there's my mind and I'm accidentally identifying with the mind and oh God, okay, self-identity and ego is a problem for me if I want to be enlightened. Now there's another layer of identity. Even on top of your identity, there's a further layer. The further ident layer of identity is Casper and you, you know, the ghost that's appeared and you've got to deal with that level of identity before you can deal with self-identity before you can achieve union. So it is a problem with regards to spirituality because it's creating another layer of identity. All traditions understood this is why eventually the idea of gods or deities or, or whatever constructs you had around them had to break down because if you see buddha on the path crush him and so on and so on because these were all just personifications of an energy that that can be turned by the mind um, into something that tricks you into think it's a separate being another trap the ghost is the same but then what happens you have to ghost your awareness has identified it as a separate being that lives inside you because you've now been possessed by it so what happens is all that energy goes up and it's going to feed that so it's going to amplify and amplify and amplify and then the more practice you do all it's going to do is that ghost is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger till it completely overtakes your life and then your your, well, your life falls apart your health your mental energy all of it just goes Often with regards to energy work as well, if that extra energy is going into the nervous system, so it's feeding all the somatic experience, you started off feeling heat and tingling and electrical feeling in the skin, that gets personified as well. So now Casper, the ghost that's possessed you, is doing those things to you. So then all of a sudden, you know, I can start to shake and shudder because the ghost has got hold of me or something. Again, it's your nervous system and it's been created by you. It's an illusion. Not a delusion, because I think that's a bit mean, but it's an illusion that you need to break out of because until all the time you're personifying it, it will get bigger and bigger and bigger and keep amplifying it until it takes you over. And eventually, if that nervous system keeps being impacted, it's going to create bodily reactions as well. So you're going to vomit, you know, like the exorcist. I don't know if your head's going to spin around three times. But you're going to get all sorts of bodily reactions just because of, of simply what's going to happen with all that energy going into your system that you're, you're attributing to this separate entity that doesn't even exist in the first place. It's a nightmare, but you can get physical symptoms from it and you will blame it on the ghost. It's, it's crazy. Like the human being, the human mind, and I don't mean anyone's individually crazy. I just mean the mind is crazy, like what it can do. What do you always see within, within these arts? Right? There's, there's a universal thing from people who've been possessed. Always the same. It's universal. They always think that the spirit comes from one of these traditions. So the spirit will always either be, let's think of the stereotypes, it'll always either be, Indian, it'll be yogic spirit, it'll be Tibetan, it'll be from Tibet because that's spiritual, it'll be a Chinese spirit because China's spiritual, it'll be a you know Buddhist spirit, a Taoist spirit, it'll be always one of these, it's always from one of those places, you know what it never is, it's never, you know, it's never from Belgium, 
sorry if you're Belgian listeners, but it's not known as a spiritual place, is it? It's never from Blackpool or Margate or something like that. It's, it's never from one of those places. Like, it's always from the spiritual places. Why? Because, whoa, because ghosts only came from spiritual places. No, it's not. It's not that at all. Don't be daft. Not at all. Every culture around the world spoke about ghosts in ancient England, France, Germany, Spain, Mexico. I'm sure they all talk about, even Belgium spoke about ghosts, you know, Bruges and what have you. But you'll always, your ghost will always be from a spiritual place. Why? Because you're personifying and you're putting that character on it and you have associations with the spirit world already. It, it, you have those associations and those associations are built from what you've been told, what you've read, things you've done. So in your brain, where do spiritual comes, things come from? Spiritual places. So there you go. You get possessed by those spirits. It's a game that your mind is playing on you, that is playing on you, that's giving you that kind of illusion of what's going on. And people can... Um, create all sorts of things. They, they can not only turn their traumas into spirits that are from Tibet or India or Egypt or other spiritual places, but, or they can, uh, but they can turn their addictions into spirits. The amount of people I've seen that their addictions have been so bad that they've kind of tried to protect themselves from the guilt of having the addiction. So that's become a spirit as well. The, the, the spirit of the addiction is taking over me or, or something or something. You know, there's all, sort, all sorts of games the mind can play, but ultimately that's what possessing you you are possessed by yourself in the in the majority of cases so what am i not saying i'm not saying it's your imagination that's not what i'm saying i'm not saying it's all in your head no not really i mean i suppose literally i'm saying it's all in your head because everything is all in your head the entire of i mean that's one of the big realizations within the eastern arts that everything is only created in mind everything is in mind but i'm not saying in a derogatory fashion everything is in your head i'm really not and i've upset several people in that way because they've come to me for possession treatments and i've said well okay what we're we going to do well i need you to exorcise the spirit okay sure no problem well the first step is we need to identify which part of your psychological makeup is it that you've fragmented, isolated, and then fed with energy until it's been personified as a separate being. I always talk to people on that level, and they that creates all sorts of upset because that's what they hear, that it's my imagination is falling my mind. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you've been through this process to be personified something as a separate thing. As soon as you can understand that that's what it is, shine the unscrewed, you know, the, the, the brutal light of awareness upon the nature of the condition in the many cases it gives you an in to being able to break that pattern anyway. Because with regards to a pattern that's constantly being fed and then generated and fed and then generated in a cyclical fashion, you need a way in. You need a chink in that problem to get the light in, to start to fragment it up. And one of those things is the light of awareness that shines upon it and then it can start to adjust. But you need to be brutally honest with the truth of what's going on. As soon as I say that and someone goes, yeah, you could be right. I can see a way in, boom. And you know what? You can treat those people. Um, and you can you can work with acupuncture and, and all sorts to try to get them in. And, and there are points like ghost points and window of heaven points and, and dragon points and so on that are points that are, are chosen in Chinese medicine to treat these things. Um, and often they work very psychologically on the person and they're, and they're about sort of trying to take fragmented parts of the mind and put them back together. And as soon as someone's prepared to work with you in that way, you can see a way out. But as soon as the person goes, no, 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 you're wrong. No, it's definitely a spirit from India, from, you know, Dharamasala or something or it's from the Ganges I don't know and it's invaded me and it's told me it's in me and it's going to be here because it needs to live inside me because it needs to feed off of my energy and my god these spirits from these spiritual places are very petty beings if that's what it ends up that they have to invade you in order to do these things you, you know it's not it's not the case it's not what's happening but it's all the time that people are personifying it in this way it's not going to change now, normally I try not to say anything too controversial because it gets me in trouble these days on the internet. You can't say anything. You can't say anything unless it's mainstream or people get upset. But I think that a lot of the spiritual internal teachers, workers in the Taoist tradition or any of the others that are always talking about exorcisms and spirits and ghosts and make everything about ghosts and the ghosts have got man coming in and the spirits have got told you. I think they've got a lot to answer for personally because I don't necessarily think that they see the damage they're doing because the amount of people who come to me from those traditions and they tell me this and I go, mm, I don't think you're possessed actually. I think we need to try to make you happy and comfortable with life because you're only here on this earth for 80 years or 
give or take, you know, whatever, however long you're going to live. And, and the most important thing to realize, as well as finding a purpose in life, is you must enjoy your life. And it'd be lovely if you could be comfortable with it um, and have a lovely life and enjoy yourself because otherwise it's going to be a very unpleasant experience. So we need to do that. That's why that's my priority. And then they go, no, 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 because the other teachers told me, they told me that the spirits were here and I needed an ex. Well, that other teacher has got some things to answer for because that other teacher has filled you with shit. They filled your mind with shit and they might have filled your mind with shit accidentally by not knowing. Is that an excuse? Maybe they had a very limited conceptual framework or maybe they filled your head with shit on purpose because they didn't realize the damage they're doing. But I've known lots of people who are doing that kind of damage because the kind of students that come to you can be very trusting and very open and your word as a teacher carries more weight than you realize and i've made that mistake a few times with throwaway comments and then someone's repeated that throwaway comment to me six months later and said oh i took that on board and i'm thinking oh fuck it was a joke and then i've <laughs> realized how much weight your word carries as a teacher and it's like okay right you gotta be careful what you say demo don't tell jokes just be serious because people well some some people some people ignore you but some people will always take your only word so if you're going to constantly talk about spirits and ghosts and the spirit world and possessions and things can get inside you and spirits are, you've got a lot to answer for you really have you are causing more damage than you realize in my opinion and you need to stop it because you're hurting people and a lot of those people that are getting hurt come in a media fix and i don't want to do it because i'm busy so please be careful what you say a lot of the I mean, even on a simplistic level, personification is a very basic level. Like, it is. Personification of everything. If you still need to personify your deities, if you still need to personify your spirits, if you need to personify your gods, your angels, your divas, or whatever, as these human-like beings that have human-like qualities and stuff that, you're on a very basic level of understanding. Anyone who goes deep into the spiritual arts all of those concepts start to break down. They really do. Everything starts to break down and you realize um, that it's a lot less to do with that than you realize, far less to do with that. Personification is the sign of a beginner. Um, and the fact that there are teachers out there that are over-personifying everything so that every problem is about a spirit or a ghost, to me suggests they're a too basic a level of understanding to teach. Now, the counter-argument to that is they would say, that I'm in denial and I shouldn't be talking about such things because I just don't understand the ghost world. Maybe, maybe that's true. Or maybe, maybe those people need to go deeper. Who knows? It's all opinions and we're all entitled to them. Are we? I don't know, but we seem to be able to express them. So that's my take on ghosts. Anyway, that's my take on spirits for this Halloween. You know, so in summary, I'm not saying I don't believe in ghosts, not at all. I'm just saying that's not what's possessing people. <laughs> it's really not. Not out of almost every, if not every case I've seen, um, it's generated from inside. You have, the human mind has the power to create an illusion so real that it can take over your entire existence. I mean, we've seen that historically in lots of different ways, you know. But certainly with regards to possessions and ghosts, that's what it generally is. It's it's the psychological, traumatic version of hearing the noise under the stairs and believing that the bogeyman lives under there or something like that, you know. So, happy Halloween. Try not to get possessed.